friends. Welcome to Girl Empowered, a podcast with Ophelia's plays designed to inspire, educate, and empower you and the girls in your life. I'm your host, River Allen. I'm super excited today. I think I'm excited every time I do this, but I'm very excited today because I get to talk to one of the more inspiring people I know in my life, Yuki Roberts. She's also a colleague at Ophelia's Place who works in the schools program. And we're going to have just a conversation today about all the different ways that we can take care of ourselves, take care of each other, and of course, especially support the youth in our lives during all of this crazy time, right? So it's back to school time, but we're not exactly sure what that's going to look like. We're still dealing with the effects, of course, of COVID. Um, It's been an interesting summer, right? For all of us. And so Yuki is an especially awesome person to talk to. Um, Not only is she amazingly eloquent, which you'll get to hear, and very thoughtful, um, but she lives in kind of an interesting intersection. You know, she works um, as the director of our school's program. So she's working with our school partners. She's done tons of work with girls directly through school groups. She's also uh, married to a teacher, local teacher, um, and she's the parent of three kiddos. So she has kind of multiple places where she's um, working as a mom, as a teacher, as a mentor. And I think we'll bring some really good insights to our conversation today. We're going to reference something that Yuki had shared with me. Um, And I'm going to say it now to kind of let you think about it and we'll revisit it throughout the conversation. But she was saying, as we're doing all of this kind of connecting and work together in terms of surviving difficult things. Um, And in this case, you know, a lot of us, the pandemic is still in our mind. Um, We've had kind of a tough fire season, but there can be all kinds of changes and disruptions that get shared, right? So whether that's by a community, by everyone on the planet, by um, families as they're dealing with stresses and changes, Um, but certainly when we're talking about those, those broader shared experiences, she said, we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. And I really like that. And I want to put a little bit of a pin in that, um, so that when we come back to it, you'll kind of recall it. But I found that a really useful metaphor for thinking about the different levels of experience and the ways these kinds of things are showing up for people. So, you know, um, just helping us think about not only each other and that, you know, the experience I'm having versus the experience you're having or Yuki or another friend, but also our young people, they're experiencing this last year and a half in a day, in a way that's maybe different from ours. And it's certainly different from child to child. Um, And we want to think about the role that adults have in all of this, right? You know, what are the things that we can do? And, and more importantly, what are the ways that we can be with each other and with young people as we go through changes, big ones and, and not so big ones? We also want to think about how educators can play a role. I mean, our educators have this huge, immense, important role in the development of our children and the education they receive. Um, They're dealing with a tremendous amount of stress. I think they kind of do anyway. My parents were teachers and that job is no joke. Um, But especially when we've had so much upheaval over the last 18 months and we're still looking at a time of transition and figuring out how to make this all work. You know, how do we keep kids safe physically? How do we keep them safe emotionally? Which I know is on the top of mind for a lot of us. So thinking about ways that educators can be present for students and and be present for each other. And of course, all of us also, how do we honor our own needs? 
How do we make sure that our cup is full so that we can keep sharing out of that cup to everyone around us and particularly to our children and young people? So these are sort of guiding themes throughout this conversation. And I love that notion of being in the same storm, but not in the same boat. And I think that a lot of the tips that we're sharing are really about how do we, in all our little boats, kind of come together and find the same safe harbor. So let's think about that as, as, a, as a guiding metaphor. I'm so excited that I get to introduce all of you to one of my favorite humans, actually, um, and an amazing colleague, Yuki. And I'm going to just let her introduce herself and talk um, more about her role at Ophelia's Place, the work she's done, um, and then we'll get into more of a discussion. Thank you for having me. Um, so my name is Yuki Roberts, and I am the school program director at Ophelia's Place. Um, I have been working in school programs since 2014. So I've been doing this for a little bit. Um, but my role right now is I have oversight over all of the school programming that we do in schools kind of across the state. So um, I oversee the development of the classroom presentations that we facilitate to students, um, the girls empowerment groups that we facilitate in schools as well. And then I also oversee the training and supervision of any of the interns or volunteers that we have. And then I have a focus on adult education as well. So I meet with parents and staff and talk to them about all of the things that we talk to young people. So anything from bullying, to relational aggression, to body image, having boundaries with social media, all that good stuff. So lots of hats under one big umbrella, if that's not a mixed metaphor. <laughs> yeah, all, so many things under one big umbrella, absolutely. And I have a ton of respect for the like insights that you offer, the incredibly important topics that you discuss with girls and with families um, and with students of all genders and backgrounds through the school programs. And I feel like you're just sort of accumulated experience, especially because and people don't always know this about those of us who work in this kind of field that, you know, you have this oversight, this kind of leadership role, but you also have such a rich wealth of experience doing that direct service with our young people. Yes, I one of the things that I love the most about my job is my ability to continue to have that direct contact with the girls that we serve. Um, I think that also gives me better insight into how to create a program that serves them in the way that they need to be served. So by working with girls, by being able to have those conversations, by being able to talk about the pressures that we feel and, and how our culture puts so much emphasis on parts of us that are not actually really important to being a human being, being able right. to have those conversations and meet with parents and meet with staff and also come back to our staff at Ophelia's place and say, this is what I'm hearing from girls and letting that really lead the way that we create programming for them, I think is really special. And also one of the things that makes OP really unique, just kind of overall is being so girl led and having that be at the center of all that we do. Yeah, I agree. I think that's one of our strengths is, you know, when in doubt, <laughs> you know, we go to the people that we're there for. We go to our, mm -hmm. our young people and our girls um, and, and doing that from a place of really honoring and respecting their knowledge too. You yes. and I have talked a lot about, we kind of will offhandedly say, you know, like the most disrespected uh, demographic is teen girls. And I'm speaking kind of 
semi-facetiously, obviously there's many yeah. layers of, of oppression that go on, but in the context of sort of how we casually diminish the experience and the feelings of teen girls, they're sort of like, you can, if you want to say something is frivolous, if you want to say it's unimportant, if you want to say it's, you know, um, superficial or sometimes even mean, people will say, you know, mm-hmm. compare it to being a teen girl. And I think we really, I know you and I've talked about this a lot. We really try to approach it from kind of the exact opposite. Oh yeah. I mean, girls absolutely know what they know. Like they know who they are. They know the value of the experiences that they've had. Um, The relationships and friendships that they develop are valid and important. And there are so many lessons that they learn. And um, again, kind of touching back on what we were just speaking about is girls have so much wisdom to share. And in every group that I do, I always feel like I end up learning more than I end up sharing with them. And I love that. And one of the things that girls continuously share with me is that feeling of invalidation, right? A feeling like, oh, I'm just being dismissed as I'm having girl drama, or I need to figure this out, or this is a phase that I'm moving through and it's not a phase. And I feel very passionately about this. And um, I love being able to advocate in that way and being able to, again, share with other adults that support young people and saying like, this is what girls are telling me. Like girls are telling me that when we collectively as a group of adults say this to them, this is how they feel. And that's terrible. And also remembering what it was like for us to be young people and having that empathy and remembering, man, I was going through this one thing and I felt so passionately about it. And I knew what I was experiencing and to have that dismissed by an adult and and knowing the hurt that that does and the potential impact that that can have. Yeah. Like girls are so smart and they absolutely know who they are. I think we forget as adults that, um, you know, adolescence is a transitory phase, right? Like you are going to keep changing and growing and developing, of course. And so we have the perspective as adults to say like, wow, I can remember being 13 and like, that was so crazy. And then of course, everything was really different by the time I was 17. But I think the the key thing you mentioned is that validating that the feelings are still real. The experiences are still real. So while they may not be as all defining as it feels when you're 12 years old compared to when you're 24 or 40, um, that doesn't mean that that experience is not accurate right or that it's not happening and that those feelings aren't real and i think we've talked a lot about how like yeah as soon as an adult dismisses your feelings when you're a young person right diminishes or makes fun of um not only does that have a really hurtful impact as you just said but i think it also really um it can sow some seeds of self-doubt you know and it also more than that i think even it sort of sows the seeds of not trusting the adults around you. Like if I'm going to be vulnerable with you as a teenager and tell you how I'm feeling and your response is to be like, it's puppy love or, oh, it's, you don't know what hardship is or some of these things we say, like they're not going to then come to us with maybe the even more heavy and serious thing that's on their mind. Yes. And what that makes me think of is there have been multiple times where um, you know, we have our healthy relationships week in the in the curriculum that we do in our girls groups. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard a girl say, well, we're 12 and we're not capable of experiencing love. So we shouldn't be dating anyways. Mm. That statement always really sticks with me. And I always like to offer some perspective in 
you absolutely can experience love at 12 years old. Now, is the love that you experience now going to be the same as maybe love that you experience when you're 17 or 30 or 50 or 70? Maybe not, but it's going to be different, not less than. It's not that you're incapable of experiencing it. You're just in a time of your life where it's different and you can't know what you don't know. If and that's, that's okay for it to be. Yes. The love that you feel at 12 as you're developing, as you're understanding yourself and others, it, it shouldn't be the same as when you're 30 or when you're, you know. And I think that, you know, when we talk about something like whether someone should be dating or not, those are bigger questions about like emotional maturity and family guidance and culture. But in the sense, I love that you highlighted that, that it's not that you are incapable of experiencing or feeling yeah. love. Yeah. Well, and you also know that there was an adult that told that young person that. Exactly. It's not something that they innately know to be true. Right. It has been something that an adult, a teacher or a parent, you know, and I don't think maliciously, no. you know, intentionally trying to do harm. And um, if you are told that you're incapable of experiencing love at 12 years old, I mean, not saying that you're going to find your soulmate or anything, but it's just the experiences that you have or don't have are impacted by that mindset, right? Like what you allow yourself to be open to might look really different than if you don't feel like there's any sort of restraint to the emotions that you're capable of having at any age. And it's practice. And I think that we also reduce love to this kind of um, one-dimensional kind of, you know, romantic love and adolescence developing and getting crushes. And, and I think that learning to love in lots of different ways um, is part of development. So the love you feel towards a crush, right? Um, or someone that you get very attached to, the love you feel to, towards your best girlfriend, the love you feel towards your parent, you know, is all all part of this human experience that they're getting to engage with at a, at a different level as you hit adolescence. Your brain is actually changing. You're developing a set of values. You're um, exploring. You're having that interior questioning that starts to happen in adolescence, right? It's part of identity formation. So that's such a beautiful and important and crucial time. And I think that's where having adults like you, um, like all of us who, who go into the spaces where young people are and offer that space to talk about it, right? You know, just, just like yeah. ask the questions and, and say the confusing things and, and see where that takes you is so crucial. I think one of the biggest disservices that we as adults do for young people is just project all of our stuff onto them. Yeah. And, and we do so in a way, again, not maliciously, but having more experience or having different experiences, right. Wanting to share that knowledge in hopes of maybe preventing that young person from experiencing hurt or conflict or, um, or, you know, sometimes really big emotions, like very deep sadness or really intense anger. Um, and, and not realizing that they are not us. the experiences that they have are very different. And, you know, especially when we talk about love and young people, I think adults have a really hard time separating all of those different kinds of love that you were talking about, because I think that oftentimes like sex and love get really together. And then it just makes parents and teachers (laughs) people just kind of panic and, and have this fear of like, oh my gosh, my sixth grader wants to date and is in love. And does that mean that they want to have sex? And like, not necessarily. And that's why 
Um, I think it's also so important to just be unshockable. Like we talk so much about in the work that you and I do and the conversations we have with each other and also the interns, right, is um, being able to kind of hold whatever feelings we have or whatever things we want to project onto them to ourselves and just being curious about whatever they're talking about. Like, what does that mean to you? And what does it look like to date someone? Or what does it look like to have um, a best friend? And and what about boundaries? And how do you separate yourself? Or just, you know, wondering how in their mind they're envisioning, because it, I think oftentimes looks very different than what we think. Oh, for sure. You know, the work I've done with girls at times, I remember working with a group of girls and you know, they were talking about dating and, and, you know, different partners. And this was like a middle school age group of girls. And at one point, because I've been working with them for a while, I think they felt a little more comfortable. And one of them very shyly asked me, um, you know, what's kissing like? <laughs> and, and I think I had been assuming that these girls had a lot more experience because they were talking about, quote, dating. Right. And it was such a great eye opener of like, I'm I have assumptions at work here that probably don't have a lot of relevance to what's actually going going on with them. And so I think what you said is so important, like having that attitude of curiosity and putting maybe some of our own initial reactions aside. I love the idea that um, we have our first thoughts and our second thoughts and our first thoughts are often coming from our own stuff. So we tend to be like, ah, but our second thoughts are the ones when we've taken a breath and can go hold on, what's actually happening here? So yeah, I really appreciate that idea of, um, and I think this actually leads into what we were talking about earlier. We were talking about kind of, uh, um, well, as our listeners, I'm sure are also (laughs) preoccupied with, um, you know, everything that's going on with the pandemic, this whole thing about going back to school um, and how we all are having different experiences with that. And we're all having different um, reactions to that um, as individuals, as families, as teachers. Um, and our, and our young people, I think it's really great to remember that their experiences aren't necessarily our experiences. And you had said something about, um, you know, with parents kind of helping have these conversations with their children about going back to school after this kind of strange year and we're still not knowing what's going to happen and kind of how parents can support their kiddos, um, And you mentioned transparency and I was just wondering, maybe you could talk a little more about that. Um, Yeah, transparency and also um, I think accurate information Mm -hmm. being super valuable. Um, You know, a year and a half ago, life changed big time for everyone and it has continued to change time and time again. And um, I know my sixth grader doesn't, hang around watching the news all the time or doing research, you know, and keeping updated on the CDC and all the things that they're saying. And so I think one, being able to just have really vulnerable, honest conversations about what's happening and the reality of it. Um, And I think as adults, I think safety um, is the biggest thing that's in our mind. And I know for myself as a parent, right? It's just safety. How do I keep my kids safe? What do I need to do? What are the steps I need to take? And oftentimes I'm thinking about that safety. There's a lot of restrictions that are then placed on the young people in yeah. our lives. Um, 
because we, we want to protect them. And so I had brought up transparency and, you know, being able to be honest about what is happening, but also asking them like, where are you at? Yeah. You feel what, how do you talk about this with your friends? Right. Do you have any concerns? Like some of this can be scary. Can we chat about it? What do you feel like you need? And not doing so in an overbearing way where it's like, I need you to tell me all of your feelings right now. (laughs) Right. I know for myself, I haven't had that conversation with my kid. Like I don't really know. And so oftentimes I find out what he's needing in moments where there's a lot of emotion, right? It's just tears and I'm feeling so disconnected and I just want to be with my friends and, and thinking about like, how could I have found that information out in a different way before maybe we got here? Um, I love that. I think that's such a um, really helpful thing for all of us, parents and and adults who care about kids. Um, You're right. Um, Absolutely. A lot of times we get the information that that would be useful kind of in these moments of high emotion um, and high tension. And if we can be a little bit more intentional about that um, and maybe start some of those conversations. And I appreciate what you said about like being willing to be vulnerable as an adult with a young person and to say like, so this is what I'm doing. Like, this is the information. This is the research I'm doing. These are how I'm guiding the decisions that I'm making. And this is why, right? Like, because I want to keep you safe, but I also want you to have connection. You know, um, I think sometimes we adults forget because we want to present to our young people, like this image of ourselves is like, I've got it all together. I'm taking care of you. Everything's fine. And in fact, that's maybe less reassuring than being willing to occasionally say, let me tell you a little bit about what I'm thinking and why I'm worried and what my process is without, you know, burdening them to make you feel better, but just sharing what's going on. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think, um, I mean, whether you're an educator or a parent or whoever, if, if you know a young person, I think that balance of deciding, like, how do I go about being vulnerable without you feeling like you have to take care of me or making you feel more scared. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so sometimes what we do is we don't have that conversation. Exactly. We don't want it to turn into that. Um, and I know again, just going back to school, like there are lots, there are so many areas in river. You and I have had conversations about this a hundred times. There are so many spaces and areas that young people occupy where they do not get to make choices exactly like, not yeah. get to make decisions and so i i think another piece of this too is yes showing vulnerability and talking about maybe why you're making the decisions that you are and also being able to say and i understand that maybe that feels unfair yeah and and, and i understand that maybe that makes you feel frustrated that you can't hang out with your friend, right. Or, or you can't see them as much or, and I think it's also a really tricky time because, you know, a few months ago, lots of people were getting vaccinated and restrictions were lifted and we were returning to some sort of normalcy where, I mean, we did a girls empowerment group over the summer for the first time ever. And it was amazing. And girls were talking about how amazing it was to be able to reconnect in person in a way that was safe and wasn't scary. And so to be in a place that is very reminiscent of where we were 18 months ago and having some of those feelings and also having it feel really confusing, right? Yeah. Maybe especially for young people who 
are vaccinated and have friends who are vaccinated and feeling like that freedom should still be there or being able to hang out in the way that they were able to a couple months ago um, is hard. And um, I think it's important for adults to remember that we don't always have to fix it. Like sometimes fixing it is not the thing that needs to be done. Sometimes just processing and sitting with what comes up and just being like, yeah, this sucks. A hundred percent agree. I wish I could hang out with friends too. actually builds more rapport and built and pushes you closer together. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that, you know, we we talk a lot about um, educators because you work a lot with teachers and school administrators and have these relationships and are married to a teacher. And so we have a lot of empathy for educators and how this 18 months has also been incredibly difficult for them. Um, We've asked a lot of our teachers. um, It's it's been tough. And I think they also are really eager to have some sense of normalcy, be with those kiddos that they care about so much. and so they've got, they've got a lot in front of them too, about how are we going to navigate these things? And, um, and I think that piece about, you know, you don't have to have all the answers and have it all figured out, but you can validate when young people feel that something isn't fair. And, you know, one of my pet peeves, I'm so glad you brought this whole concept up is one of my personal pet peeves all my life has been when adults will tell young people, life's not fair, suck it up. Um, yep. And I think, well, first of all, how do we raise up young people who will work to make the world a more just and fair place if we just tell them that it's impossible and life isn't fair? So that's kind of one side of it. But also, um, sometimes the perception of fairness, you know, is a little limited, you know, so they may not at 11 years old completely understand why you know, school districts and, uh, you know, counties and all these complicated bureaucratic places are having to make decisions that can, to them can just feel very personally crappy, right? You know, <laughs> so what we can do is step into being willing to validate that it doesn't feel good, right? Yes, you're right. It doesn't feel good. And I'm so sorry you don't have some of the things you want and not feel like we have to come up with some like magical, perfect solution. Yeah. it's so interesting how there's like already such a theme developing (laughs) um you know it's super adultist and not great to be like life just sucks because one it normalizes to to like expect bad things to happen all the time right which is not I mean And I know that it's so hard. I think everybody, you know, has a little bit of tunnel vision because this has been our life for so long. And also like there was lots of life before this and there will be lots of life after this. Absolutely. And there it, you know, yes, there are challenges and there are barriers and, and life is really hard sometimes. And also there is lots of really great, good life. And I just, it's really problematic to me because I don't want to normalize kids expecting things to go wrong, right? Like it's just suck it up. So expect that. And when you encounter something that's hard, just deal with it yourself. Like that doesn't encourage them to process. It doesn't encourage them to reach out. It doesn't encourage them to learn how to communicate or navigate big feelings or challenging feelings. It just encourages 
shutting down. And again, I think that's a great example of how oftentimes we adults might say those things to try to be helpful, you know, like sometimes things are hard and like, we got to push through. And there's this whole bundle of complex feelings that coexist at the same time that still need to be acknowledged because if they're not exhausted, you know, if they're not acknowledged, if they're not brought to the surface then they just get shoved down and that doesn't benefit anyone. And it also impacts how that student shows up in the classroom. It also impacts how that student participates in the classroom, how they interact with their peers, the kinds of behaviors that they have whether or not they do their homework, right? Do they fall asleep in class? All of these things that maybe we don't think of can be kind of natural consequences of not being able to just express whatever they're needing to express. And have that be held with some respect, right? Yes. Um, You know, even when as parents we're tired or frustrated or as teachers we're overwhelmed, you know, part of our job as adults with young people is, is to learn. We're the ones that are, that are expected to have some ability to manage our stuff so that we can be present. And really that's all we're asked to do. Be present mm-hmm. and be open to, to being with whatever's coming up for that young person. You don't have to have all the answers. No one has all the answers. You know, one of the things about resilience that's interesting is that, you know, we usually we build resilience because we've gone through hard things. We can hold that in our minds that um, on the one hand, we can't wrap our kids in bubble wrap. On the other hand, we don't want to be dismissive and um, reductive about their experiences and just say, suck it up, buttercup. You know, neither of those are necessarily extremes we want to go to. So we can look towards a middle where we can talk about like hard things do happen in life. And I have so much faith in your ability to get through it. And I know that you will. And it's also if you just need to talk about how you're feeling or, you know, share that with me that. I can be here with you in that moment. I think sometimes adults forget that like young people are people. (laughs) They want the same things we do. (laughs) All of the things that we experience as, as adults, as big people, younger people and little people also experience. And I think we forget sometimes that because I think it's so ingrained in us as adults, right? To fix, to have the answer. We're doing all of the things that you've already said that we forget that when we're in a moment with a young person, it's okay to just be like, I don't know what to do. And, and we talk about this in intern training as well. Like if you don't have the answer to something, coming back to that transparency of being able to say, I don't have the answer or I don't know. And I think I know a lot of times in my work and in working with educators and staff in, in particular, um, one of the questions that I get a lot is, well, what if the kid, what if a kid asks me a question and I don't know the answer? And my answer is always, then you say that you tell them that you don't have the answer, or you say that you don't know, or you say, I don't have the answer, but would you like me to find an answer for you? Like, yeah. or do you, you want to work together to find an answer? And I think you forget that like, I don't know, or I'm unsure is an answer. Yes young people are asking us. And that's why we were saying earlier, like you can say, I don't know, or I don't have all the answers for you, but I'm here with you. Mm-hmm. It's such a crucial thing because a lot of times when young people um, in particular, well, all of us feel this way really, as you were kind of saying, but the worst thing is to be feeling uncertain and afraid or unsure or confused by yourself. Like as if you're the only one in experiencing it and no one else can understand or relate like that feels really not good you know 
so so what I was thinking about was just um the idea that it's being alone in those experiences that feels the worst, right? Um, and I also think what you're saying earlier really reminded me, we, we talk about this too, like, you know, even in adult relationships, a lot of times there's, you know, we sort of semi-joke about, you know, someone is having a hard time um, and their partner is like, well, let me fix it. Let me figure out the solution. And we're busily saying, I don't need you to fix the problem. I just need you to listen to me. And I thought, well, gosh, that's exactly what young people need from us most of the time. Obviously, they do, you know, they have other needs as well. But I think in terms of that, what you've been really honing in on this kind of um, the emotional aspect of how do we support, um, how do we be present with whatever's coming up? And I think that because we are in such a bizarre kind of unique time where we're collectively having an experience of um, hardship, right? <laughs> um we need to be able to have some of those conversations. And it reminded me of something you said earlier um, where you said, we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. Really what I meant by that is like the experience that I have had going through COVID is much different than your experience. And that's different than every other coworker that we have. And the same is true for young people and maybe even arguably more stressful for them because again, there's not a lot of decision-making that they get to do during this time. They're just kind of along for the ride. Yeah. I mean, as we know, uh, there's, it feels like there's so much division and conflict. And, and I think also just kind of like more economically where people are at financially in terms of being able to provide for themselves and their families has been really polarized. And we've seen a lot of that through the pandemic. So I just also think about, you know, the first day of school and kids show up and there are going to be kids in that class who come from a family that has a home where each person has their own room and they've been able to get, you know, get vaccinated and they've been able to safely quarantine in a space that is safe for them. They've been able, you know, to afford food or be able to go out or just kind of keep up. Also, as cost of living and all of that has increased as well. Oh, yeah. And the internet you know, devices. Oh, my gosh. Like, I look at her internet bill and I just want to pull my hair out, but that's a whole other. I'm with you, though. <laughs> um, and then you have kids who show up, right, who have multiple le- people living in very small space that have not had access to to other resources or just the privilege of having space to yourself distance wise, right? Or not having, um, you know, the privilege of having parents being able to work from home and having to go out and, you know, having parents who are essential workers um, and, and, and even before vaccinations, right? Like yeah. people having to go out and do their job regardless of there being this big, scary, intense thing that's happening. And so when you have all of that in a classroom, right. Or, or even between family and friends, meeting everybody's needs is so hard. Like every in their own boat, um, needs are different. How people are navigating the situation is different. How people feel just generally about vaccination, going back to school, being social, wearing masks, all of those things are so different. And I think it's, it's really challenging to navigate. And one of the things that I was talking to you about before this too, is 
you know, in the last year, we've talked about taking breaks and self-compassion and all of that. And, and I think one of the things that for me, I really tried to do is honor what my needs are and know that I know what is best for me and my boat. And if I need help to be able to ask other people in different boats what they're doing or letting them know that I need support or whatever. And so that's so important. And I think that's so important for all of us as individuals, as colleagues, as um, workers, family members, um, you know, for teachers thinking about like that. I love that you alluded to like, you know, them being really conscious of where their kids are coming from. And I think, I think a lot of teachers are aware, but it's always a good reminder of, um, you know, that there's a lot of diverse experience within this. Um, teachers themselves are having that. We as individuals are going, you know, through what do I need from day to day? Um, and then finding a way to, I think the way you put it, yeah, honoring those needs. And, you know, we, we all know, like, we can't necessarily get all of our needs met all of the time. <laughs> but the more we talk to each other and the more we create some space for that, and the more that we're willing to, to reach out and speak out to each other um, and how that applies to our young people too. Uh, you said something when we were talking about, um, you know, we do want to be transparent with each other. Um, we do want to check in with where we're at and not make assumptions, whether that's with each other or with, with young people. Um, and then looking for compromise. And I, I think all three of those things are just, just such a beautiful way that you said that, like, you know, those are some kind of guideposts we can look to as we work with each other, as we work with children around um, how to get through life in general, <laughs> in a way, you know, how do we be authentic? How do we not assume? How do we compromise with each other so that we can all honor our needs and each other's needs to the best of our ability? Yeah. And what I think we all need to remember is we exist in a culture that encourages us to really internalize and feel like everything is our fault. Yeah. And, um, and our responsibility only and our responsibility. <laughs> exactly. And so I think, I mean, one adolescence just already by itself can feel really lonely. And there's a lot of internalizing of like, I'm bad or I don't fit in and that's my fault and, and all of that. Not good enough. Yeah, exactly. And I think that during this time of uncertainty too, there's even more of that, right. Of like, and I think I, I have so much empathy for parents as well and them experiencing that, right. Like, why am I not able to provide for my family? Why isn't this working out? I'm not working hard enough. Like all of that, just that are the things I always did no longer working. Yes. (laughs) You know? Yes. And now it's my job, you know, that kind of mentality of like, I got to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I mean, one thing that I kind of hope is that if at least when it's something like a pandemic that maybe we can go, we actually have a thing we can point a finger to, like, this is a virus. Like it's no one's fault. It's nobody, you know, we are, we're going to have our existential crises throughout our lifetimes about lots of things, but you know, in this particular one, um, it is a storm that we're all in. And if there's a way that we can disconnect those feelings of shame and blame and self-judgment and help our young people with that practice as well, you know, help them kind of unpack it, um, I think, you know, I think we all get through it a little bit easier and with a little more compassion towards ourselves and each other. Yeah, absolutely. I hope there is more of that moving forward. You know, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, I felt more like there was this 
coming together and let's support and let's advocate and let's push for change. Um, and then it felt like things just kind of settled and people adapted to just how things are. And, um, and I hope that there's another big push of that, right. And recognizing like, yes, we're all in different boats, but we're in this together and like that coming together and that sharing and that collective, like care, care. Yeah. And, and, and not just about what's going on, but like, we care about each other and we want other people to do better because then that also helps us to do. Exactly. Like there's too much of that individualistic mindset of like, I'm just going to look out for myself. Um, when we help each other, we help ourselves. Yes. I mean, we are, we are an interconnected community. We're an interconnected world at this point. Um, and, and that's just a fact. That's not even a philosophical statement. I mean, you know, we just yeah. are. And, um, and when we look out a little bit for each other, it can also be, I think, such a helpful way to get out of our worry and our negative thinking um, when we can focus on what we can do for each other. And I think that our young people, one of the things I love about young people, one of the reasons I love working with adolescents, they actually have quite a big urge to, to try to help right? To try to make things better, to be, you know, a lot of great yes. advocates, um, but even just the, the, not necessarily even the big advocates, but those, all those teens and tweens that really care about their friends deeply and want to help them feel better and want to make things better, you know, in whatever way they can. Um, in some ways, this kind of circles back to what we were talking about as youth as leaders, this, you know, <laughs> I think we can really look at their wisdom and their compassion. And if we can, get out of our own stuff a little bit, be really inspired by that. Well, and also their creativity. Oh, 100%. When I look at a problem or an issue and I try to think about, okay, what are all of the ways that I can go about navigating this? I feel like my mind is really limited in how I think. Whereas if I talk to a young person and I'm like, how would you navigate this? They think about things that I would like never ever think of, or even in the girls groups that we did this last year, virtual groups, when we were talking about self-care and we were talking about how do you care for yourself when maybe some of the things that you used to do, you're not able to access anymore. And the things that they were able to come up with were things that like my brain was not even able to comprehend because it was so outside of how I normally think. And I love that. Like, I Do you remember any of those? It's been a while. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And also have I just super compartmentalized and tried to push it all away, maybe a little bit. Um, (laughs) Talking about self-care one time, right? And we were just uh, talking about things that you can do. And one girl, you know, we were talking about art and one girl was like, yeah, I love painting rocks, like being able to paint rocks and like put affirmations on them. Or um, she she was talking about painting rocks and then leaving them on the doorsteps of like her friends. Houses as a way to connect and be like, you know, because also social media and technology played a huge part in us staying connected. And there are, you know, believe it or not, this is still a, a large group of young people that does not have a, a smartphone, right? Social media, right? Or, you know, young people who do not have access, right? To those kinds of things. And so that was just really creative because the way that I think about connecting was like FaceTime, right? Or, you know, I don't even know, like talking on the phone or texting. And I just, I didn't feel like my brain could get out of its rigidity and thinking, yeah. of, 
what is something so creative and spontaneous that you could do that would let other people know that you're thinking about them? And I was like, painting rocks is the thing. That's beautiful. And, and then also super random. The irony of me saying that is um, my family just got back from a week at the beach. And on the first day we were there, um, we left our shoes by a log and we all went to be in the water and we came back and someone left a painted rock in my daughter's shoe. No. Like this beautifully painted, almost ladybug looking Uh. rock. And she sleeps with this rock. Like it is so the fact that someone took the time to like think of her and at three years old, she's able to recognize that. So painting rocks. I honestly can't think of a better way to wrap up this conversation than with that image. I think that's such a beautiful reminder of what we're capable of at our best, even when we're under stress. Uh, Maybe sometimes our best actually comes out when we're under stress and how very small acts of connection and thoughtfulness have much bigger effects than we realize. So as we are looking towards some continuous continuing to be kind of uncertain future. Um, but there's, there's a lot also that we can be grateful for a lot that we can be hopeful about. Um, yeah, little painted rock. Painted rocks. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for um, taking the time. Uh, you are a very busy lady and I appreciate you sharing your insight and your experiences and having this conversation with me. And I hope that our listeners enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, and can look forward to, oh, you know, there's some, there's some positives coming up as we're, as we're navigating this next little phase too. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. Everyone that we talk to on the show and the things that I'll share, we're basing this off of the fact that we're really aware that our collective wisdom is a lot greater than any one of us. So those of us at Ophelia's Place who've had lots of years working with kids and families, um, all of you, everyone that we interact with, we're gleaning wonderful tools and insights, right? Every one of us has a slightly different perspective on what it takes to make a healthy community, what it takes to raise a healthy child. And we just see this as an opportunity to kind of uplift those voices, uplift those tips and tools, get them out to all of us so that we can all share that work of creating that loving community, right? And creating that place where children can develop as um, healthy individuals and grow into healthy, happy, and functional adults, right? So that's kind of our intention as we bring different voices onto the show and as we share our insights that hopefully all of you can take something from as well. As I mentioned at the top of the hour, Yuki's wonderful quote about being in the same storm, but not all in the same boat. It made me think of a really beautiful piece of writing by Clarissa Pinkola Estes, um, someone I admire greatly and whose writings are very beautiful and inspiring. She shared a piece uh, several years back with a friend who was dealing with some hard and difficult changes. And a number of us have found some real solace in this piece of writing as we've gone through a lot of different things over the last several years. And I thought it was really fitting given kind of the theme of today and that metaphor. So I'm going to share this with you before we end today. So she writes, ours is not the task of fixing the entire world all at once, but of stretching out to mend the part of the world that is within our reach. 
any small calm thing that one soul can do to help another soul to assist some portion of this poor suffering world will help immensely. It is not given to us to know which acts or by whom will cause the critical mass to tip toward an enduring good. What is needed for dramatic change is an accumulation of acts, adding, adding to, adding more, continuing. We know that it does not take everyone on earth to bring justice and peace, but only a small determined group who will not give up during the first, second, or hundredth gale. One of the most calming and powerful actions you can do to intervene in a stormy world is to stand up and show your soul. Soul on deck shines like gold in dark times. The light of the soul throws sparks, can send up flares, builds signal fires, causes proper matters to catch fire. To display the lantern of the soul in shadowy times like these, to be fierce and to show mercy toward others, both are acts of immense bravery and greatest necessity. Struggling souls catch light from other souls who are fully lit and willing to show it. If you would help to calm the tumult, this is one of the strongest things you can do. There will always be times when you feel discouraged. I too have felt despair many times in my life, but I do not keep a chair for it. I will not entertain it. It is not allowed to eat from my plate. In that spirit, I hope you will write this on your wall. When a great ship is in harbor and moored, it is safe. There can be no doubt. But that is not what great ships are built for. We thank you again for joining us, for listening. Please follow us on our social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Check out our website, ophelia'splace.net. And as always, remember, empowered girls change the world. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.